0: Yes. Amen. Thank you, Brother Moore. We'll have an invitation now. (laughs) Appreciate that. Uh, Praying from his heart. Praying from his heart. All right, in this text, and of course, I don't need to remind any of you that are here, but for the sake of those who may be tuned in uh, by social media and not know, what it is that we've been thinking about and studying, uh, we have looked at the, th- the fact that prayer uh, is a sowing to the Spirit. And, uh, of course, I took that from Galatians in the sixth chapter. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He talks about sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption, and sowing to the Spirit and reaping life. And so... The question came to my mind, and I think it's a serious one, how do we sow to the Spirit? How do we sow to the Spirit? And so the Bible tells us, and I believe this is the primary way that we do, our prayer life. Our prayer life, how important that is. And so we've been looking at some things that we find in the New Testament where it's spelled out that that God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moves somebody to pray for it. Moves somebody to pray for it. And here in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praying for the church at Colossae. And it starts in verse number 9. I'll read down through verse 11. Verse 11 is our text again tonight. And here's what it says. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, heard how that God was blessing them, Do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is our text verse for the second Sunday night. It says, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Now you might remember that in the first message on this verse, I, I, I brought this point. I believe that in our text, overall text nine through verse number eleven, I believe that there's progression. I believe that it's connect it's connected all the way down, and I shared with you that I think that verse eleven describes a condition that is the ultimate experience for the Christian. Now what I mean when I say that is that looking at life in general for the child of God, understanding uh, ha- wh- the fallen condition of man, understanding the trials and troubles and things that come in life, that, that here is a, an experience that we can have with him And it is something that the Lord himself performs in us and through us, strengthening us with all might, uh, with the glorious power of God. And I hope tonight to share with you uh, more about why this is important and how we can know that we have experienced that. How we can know we've experienced it. I'm going to pick it up exactly where I left off last Sunday night. I was sharing with you some scriptures that talk about strengthened, being strengthened. I think it's interesting, I thought about this today. Uh, There is a a bluegrass gospel group, and they are called the Graskills. Funny name, but they're called the Graskels. and uh, Sue and I enjoy listening to them, and we have picked up where they have performed and of course you can get online and hear them anytime you want to but uh, we believe that they uh, are, are a good group to listen to and Sue has a favorite song and the title of that song is I Am Strong, I Am Strong and if you listen to that song it relates to life and the ability to say that I'm strong, I'm strong now related to that I want to say uh, this, that the Bible says a whole lot about that. I want to share with you, now I've already, I think the last passages that we looked at last Sunday night was Deuteronomy 31, 1-8, Isaiah 40, 28-31, and 41-10, and Bruce shared a little bit of this from Isaiah this morning. I want to just have you look together with me, uh, look in Ephesians and chapter number 6. These are passages of scripture that all of us are familiar with. We we know this. And it talks about strength. And I want you to notice real carefully the way it's used in the Bible because we can understand what how, what the benefit is of being strong in the Lord, in his glorious power. And here's what Paul says. He's talking about the Christian as a soldier. And in verse 10 he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he goes on and talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Now that's talking about being prepared for everything that would come along in one's life. Also in Ephesians, in the third chapter, we can pick up how that It comes about in chapter number 3, and I'm going to read verse 14 through verse 16. And here's what he says. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family uh, in heaven and in earth are named, that he would grant you, according to his riches in glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Being strong. Now I want you to think about what these verses of scriptures are saying. I'm going to tell you what it says in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 13. We're all aware of that. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And maybe one of the most impressive and the one that I have quoted many, many times and I think it's an awesome passage of scripture where the apostle Paul Jesus spoke to him when he was uh, being tested and being tried. And in the ninth verse of the twelfth chapter, Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect or complete in weakness. Now what does that mean? It means in our weakness we are strong through him. And Paul says this, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities in in reproaches in necessities in persecution in distress for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am then am I strong so the bible says a whole lot about being strong about being being really strong now I, I want to mention I want to mention this to you tonight it's been my observation over the years that uh, we're all aware of the fact that we live in a fallen world. And that means that it's uh, common knowledge that there's all kinds of things that are wrong, all kinds of things that we wish were better. And we think about that all the time. And no one is exempt from the issues that come forth from that. The pain and the suffering and the disappointments, and the despair, and on and on and on I could go. And we see it in our world on every hand. And you know, because of modern media, we learn about wars that are going on in our world. And we learn about the suffering that is results from that. And I know that you all have watched TV reports on what's going on in, in Ukraine. There was a time when we might not have known very much about that, But boy, we know a lot about it now. We know a lot about it because it's on our television news reports every single day. And we know the kind of suffering that those people have gone through and the pain and the death and the mass graves and all kinds of things like that. And so this is the world that we live in. And the Bible tells us that sin has brought that uh, about. We live in a fallen world. And no one is exempt from all these issues that come along. And over the years, I have actually noted this, that sometimes you'll have a Christian who is faced with some of this stuff, and they are devastated by it. I mean, it literally changes their whole world. They they are not the same again as a result of that. And I, I have known over the years people just to be destroyed by problems that come along. But then, on the other hand, I have known people who were. Uh, it, it was really impressive how strong they were, how they dealt with things that come along in life. And I know you all have noticed the very same thing. And and the Bible tells us in First Corinthians chapter ten and verse twelve that we need to take heed. He that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And so I, I have seen. I have seen people just totally rendered ineffective for the glory of God simply because of issues that take place in life. And on the other hand, I've seen people could take the hardships and trials and stuff that comes in life and it seems to make them even more a servant of the Lord and stronger and recognizing that all things work together for good for them that love Him and are the called according to His his purpose. So I've observed that over the years. Now I want to I want to make this point. I think that there are, uh, there are reasons why uh, people need to be strong, why we need to be strong. Uh, I, let, me, let me share this uh, passage with you. The Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I find two reasons in that. I want to tell you, that in our human nature, submit yourselves unto God, that just doesn't automatically happen. There has to be the working of God's grace in someone's heart for us to surrender to Him, for us to be faithful to Him. And so submit yourself, it goes against the flesh. It goes against the flesh. Preacher, I'd rather be doing something else than submitting myself to God. I'd rather be involved in something else in life rather than that. And then the second part of that, and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, I don't have to tell you tonight that Satan works uh, against us that are God's children. He works against us. And, and if you, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but we talk a lot about God's will for our life. In that ninth verse it says, being filled with the knowledge of his will." And we think about that. We are interested in the will of God for our life. But let me ask you something tonight. Have you ever thought much about the devil's will for your life? Have you ever thought much about that? And you know, over the years I've seen it happen. I've seen people who seem to have the greatest potential for serving God in a way that would honor and glorify Him and promote His kingdom and cause. I have seen things happen. I've seen the temptations come in life, and I've seen people rendered ineffective for the glory of God. Simply cross I believe it was the work of the devil. All of us know about temptation and we, we need to take that real. We need to know about the dangers, especially for our young people, about false teaching in, in this world and all the allurements of the world. And the Bible says that we need to abstain from worldly lust, that war against the soul. And so I want you to know that the devil is always working and we can resist him by following God's leadership in in our life. Another reason we need to be strong is to endure trials in life. To endure trials that come in our life. Let me share with you in the book of 2 Corinthians a couple of passages of Scripture that I think are impressive. In 2 Corinthians... First of all, in the first chapter, in the first chapter of that book, and verse uh, 3 through verse 10, and here's, here's what it says. And I love this first part, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be God, even Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, how many times I've used that in a funeral service, who comfort us in all our tribulations, that we might be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith, we ourselves are comforted. For as the suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. This is Paul talking to the Christians of Corinth. uh, Which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall you be of the consolation. You can follow that language down through there, and it becomes obvious to us by what Paul was telling them, is that there are times in our life when we need to be comforted. We really do. We need to be comforted, and of course, I take that serious. When it comes to, uh, for example, funeral services, I, I, I tell you, I've I've witnessed a lot of tears over the years. You just wouldn't know how many tears I've witnessed. You wouldn't know how much sadness I have seen. And to try to comfort somebody, it, it sometimes it's difficult. It, sometimes it seems that it's almost impossible. And the Bible says here, if you're ever interested in comforting someone, you're going to have to be a person who God has comforted, because that is the that's the way who uh, we're able to comfort other people. Then another passage of Scripture, I'd call your attention. In this book, is in chapter number four. Chapter number four, and let me read uh, here in this fourth chapter, verse beginning in verse number six, and you'll see the trouble that he talks about. He says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have these treasures in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now here's where he picks up on this. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Okay. Can trouble in one's life cause distress? Why, well, it sure can. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Can troubles cause despair in people's lives? It sure can. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. Then in verse 11, For we which are alive are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Verse 12 says, So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And so what Paul is saying is, there are situations in life that can lead to being in distress, or being defeated, but we don't have to. That can only come from the strength that the Bible says that God gives to us. So enduring trials in life. But then another one is to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. This is an interesting thing. And I, it tells us in 1st Timothy chapter 1 and in verse number 18, here's what it says. Paul talking to Timothy, I charge this charge I Commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecy which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now you hear me say this, talk about it occasionally, about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And you know, if we're not careful, we can go through life and never recognize that, never understand what that is. But there is a spiritual war going on. And uh, we need to be really careful. And Paul tells him uh, here about Midas War, a good warfare. So it's to fight the good fight of faith. And then uh, Jude chapter 4, and Brother Jimmy asked me uh, how come I had everybody turn in their Bibles on Wednesday night and then not ever read the text. (laughs) Only Jimmy would notice that. And I just struck right out. I, there was others noticed it too. But here's what it says in verse number 3. Uh, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it is needful that I write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is not faith in Christ. This is the body of truth is what that is. Body of truth. I'm, I'm a firm believer in doctrine, in, 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 in the doctrine that is always worth fighting for. Amen. Earnestly contend for, for the faith once delivered unto the saints. So we need, uh, to be strong to fight that fight of faith. But then I want to share with you, as I have in these other things, that which flows from that, flows from being strong. And here's what it says strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness patience and long suffering with joyfulness now that comes from that it is be obvious in our, our minds that that would be the case and you know I, I preach a lot on patience i got to thinking about some passages of scriptures that I've preached from in recent time and patience being uh, listed in those verses of scripture. And so what kind of patience is this that flows from being strong? Well, I believe actively it is a steady persisting in duty which keeps us from being deterred by opposition or fainting under suffering. To stand up and be strong, patient, patient, and also there's a perseverance. We believe in that. We believe in the perseverance of all true saints. We believe true saints persevere, and the Bible teaches that. It's refusing to give up in difficulty. But then there's a passive uh, kind of patience, and it's the Bible talks about a meek and quiet spirit. I think it is in First uh, Peter maybe chapter number three. And it's a description of a woman about a meek and quiet spirit. And it is that meek and quiet spirit, of course, it is something all of us can experience, which endures the suffering and aggravation without sinning against God. To be able to endure that without sinning against God. Now when I read that, and I thought about that, my mind went to probably what I think to be one of the best examples in all the Bible about being patient with troubles and trials and hardship without sinning against God. Now, as I, as I state it that way, I'm sure you, you can think about who that is. And so I want to talk a little bit about the grace of patience or the patience of grace. Now, we'd all admit, We sang about that song a while ago about God's grace. And you know, I think a lot about God's grace. I preach a lot about God's grace, teach a lot about God's grace. I think it's just awesome. And I want more of it. I want more grace. He, the Bible says, He giveth more grace. Now, I want to tell you something. You show me a strong Christian. And I'm going to show you someone who bears fruit. Of that in life. They bear fruit of that in life. You know, you know. the Bible says that all things work together for good. For them that love Him and are of the called according to His purpose. Now, I want to tell you one of the good that comes from difficulties in life. Is that our lives are being observed. People are watching us. People are watching us. And I know that you see it. You look for it. You're impressed with it. Anytime a child of God is strong when it comes to the trials that come in life, that are really strong. And, uh, of course, the thought came to me about the grace of patience. Uh, someone that is patient, someone that is strong, it is a measure of grace that's been bestowed upon their life and their experience for them to have that kind of experience. They have been granted more grace. I like the two words together, and they're in the Bible. He giveth more, more grace. I don't know about you tonight, but boy, I need more grace. The grace of patience, or the patience of grace. And of course, where I get those thoughts comes from the book of Job. I want you to turn back there with me in the book of Job, and I want to just share with you, I don't know how long it's been since you've read the first chapter of the book of Job. But I will tell you something tonight. Talking about the trials and troubles that come in life, I wanted to, I've to. i never known anyone uh, who has experienced uh, it as bad as Job did. That, that just is mind-blowing. You know that the first chapter talks about the fact that uh, he had his, his children. Uh, the Bible says this. Um, it was born unto him seven sons and three daughters in verse number two. Uh, and here's what it says in verse three. And his substance also was 7,000 sheep. You know, I thought about how many servants he'd had to have. How many employees of Job. How wealthy and how blessed this man was how wealthy he was, 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, a very great household, and there, there's what I noticed it had to be, it had to be. I can't imagine, Yeah, uh, you know, I was raised on a farm, and did some farming with my brother for several years, I know so very little about farming when I read about Job. When I read about Job, a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. Now you know why he was, don't you? We know why he was, because God had blessed him with that. God had blessed him with that. And the Bible says, talking about talking about his sons and... Uh, They were uh, feasting together uh, in their their houses, and their sisters had joined them. And and it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. Was he a good father? sure was in their way of worshiping in that time it happened and then you you follow on and you read about what happened to all of his sons what happened to his daughters what happened to his servants and you know they were all just wiped out and we read here in verse I'll start in verse 6 now there was in that day when his sons the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came in among them. The sons of God here was those who were God's children. They were worshipers. And, and it says in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in all the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He feared God and he hated evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught, or fear you for nothing? For nothing. Verse 10, Hast thou not made a hedge about him? How many of you believe that God can hedge your family and your life? How many of you believe that? You better believe it. You better believe it and you ought to think about it often and and we ought to thank God for that fact. That God protects His people and He does put a hedge about them. Satan recognized that and he says about his house, and all that he hath on every side, thou hast blessed the works of his hand and his substance is increased in the land. Can God bless people with the substance they need and the things that they need in life? You better believe it. It's stated there. And here's what he said in verse 11. But pull forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Well that tells us something about Satan. He don't know everything. He just don't know. You see God's omniscient. He knows everything. But Satan is not. And he, and it says in verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And that's hard for us to understand. But you know, God permitted that to happen to him. God knew what the end result was going to be. But God permitted that to happen to him. You've heard me say it a lot. I know it's true. Whether we believe it or not, everything that takes place in our world, God either directed it or He permitted it. And God is a God of purpose. All things happen for a purpose. And so that all happened to Him. And then the Bible says this. This is what's so neat. In verse 20 and in verse 20, I'll read verse 20 through verse 22. Verse 22. Listen to this. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. You say, well, why didn't he just say, God, why me? I want you to know tonight that Job did not really understand what all was going on until the end of the book. You can go there and read it, the end of the book. And he said this, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. That didn't mean he was going to go back to his mother's womb. He was going to leave this world that way with literally nothing. And he said this, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Does God take away? The Bible says He does. He gives, and He takes away. Blessed be the name of Of the Lord. And then in verse 22 it says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He never sinned. What would we do if all that stuff like that happened to us? What would we do? How would we think? How would we respond to that? I want you all to know something tonight. This is the grace of... Of patience for him to talk like this Then I want to read verse 9 and 10 Of chapter 2 And it says Then said his wife unto him Dost thou still retain thine integrity Curse God and die Not only Listen Not only did he lose everything But he was struck with the awful condition and suffering And the Bible says in verse 10 But he said unto her Thou speakest as a foolish woman what shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And of course, evil here uh, can be trouble, it can be adversity, but it's never moral evil with God. Never. God is never guilty of moral evil. And he says, "What shall we receive good from the hand of God, and shall we shall not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin. With his lips. Now all of you have heard the statement. The patience of Job. The patience of Job. I want to tell you all something tonight. Here we have an example of a strong man. Of a strong man. This is what he was. God knew that. God knew it about him. And God for His purpose and His plan permitted Job to suffer the way he did and to lose those things that he lost in all of that. But Job was a patient man. The patience of Job. Now I believe this is a kind of patience that is not like the patience that people might experience regardless of the relationship with God. And we would all know tonight that there are people that maybe are unsaved, unregenerate, who are patient people. I've known some of them, that they bore that fruit in their life of being patient. But that's not what this is. This is spiritual. And it is motivated by higher principles than those of the unregenerate. First of all, it is motivated by faith and connected to faith. That's, that's what it's connected to. And I want to read these verses in James chapter 1. And he says this, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. Temptation there are trials. That's the meaning of that Greek word. Is trials in life. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There is patience connected to faith. And I've shared with you before what I believe about what that's saying there. Uh, Tribulation don't cause patience. It can, but tribulation manifests it. You see what I'm saying? Troubles that come in people's life can manifest a spiritual patience in their life. And strength in their life. So faith is connected to it. Also love is. In the 12th verse of that chapter it says this. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. It's trials. The Greek word is trials. Blessed is the man who endureth trials. Have you ever known someone to have a lot of trials in life? And it seemed to make them even stronger. It seemed to make them even more dedicated to the Lord. How many of you have maybe experienced in your own life some trials that has drawn you closer to the Lord? Closer to the Lord. Have you ever been confronted with something that drove you to your knees and say, Lord, I need you. I need your help in my life. I need you to help me understand. I need you to help me be strong. You see, it happens. Blessed is a man that endureth trials for when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. So patience is connected to faith. Patience is connected to love. Patience is connected to hope. In, in the book of Romans, is that special passage of Scripture in the 8th chapter, and I've read it in your presence many, many times where it says this in verse 24 and 25, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope? We, you see, hope is that which we have confidence assurance in related to our future. We can't see it, but we know it's true. Verse 25, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. How many of you are going to heaven when you die? Well, if you're going to heaven when you die, guess what you're doing now? You're waiting for that time to come when you go be with the Lord. That's pure and simple. And so the hope is the reason why we do that. And then the scriptures, uh, you remember a series of sermons I preached from uh, the 15th chapter of Romans in verse number 4 where it said, those things were written beforehand, were written for our learning that we through uh, patience and the comfort of the scripture might have hope. You might remember something I shared with you about that. Is he talking about the patience of the Scripture? No, he's talking about the comfort of the Scripture. We through patience and the comfort of the Scripture might have hope. And so, is it important the things that God has written? And then I want to say this about long-suffering. I think that's a word that defines itself. I believe it's patience from beginning to end. That's what I think it is. It is long-suffering all the way through. Now, how does joyfulness proceed from this? That's an interesting thing. It says uh, in our text, it talks about uh, strength, and it talks about patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. With. In other words, it is accompanied by these blessings we experience in life. And you see there are many things that would rob us from that, but they don't succeed I read this a while ago, my brethren, count it all joy when you enter into divers or different trials, temptations in life. You see, somebody might say, well that's asking a lot of me. How do you respond to that? Do you count it all joy when you experience all of the trials in life? Well, I don't think we have to be happy about the trials. But there's a reason why the joyfulness comes from it. We're taught here that when we experience this, you see, how, how would you know that you've experienced that strengthening as it talks about in the Bible? Well, it would only be as it's being tested in life. You see? And so we're taught that it can only come from God. It's produced in the heart of the believer. We would know that because who in the world would count it all joy? when we enter into divers or different kinds of trials in life. Who would be happy about that? Nobody's happy about that. Nobody is happy about it. But I tell you what we can be happy about, it's when it does not rob us of the joy that is in our heart in knowing Christ as our personal Savior. I think there's something interesting stated about that. I'll read this passage of Scripture and then uh, at the Conclusion In the book of Habakkuk, in chapter number 3, I was reading this this past week. Here's what Habakkuk says in the 17th through the 19th verse of that book. He says this, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be on the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flocks shall be cut off from the foal. And there shall be no herd in the stall. And this is what he says Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Would you do that? Would you rejoice if everything failed? Would you rejoice if you lost all of your material wealth in this world? But that's what he said. The Lord is my strength. And so the Bible talks about that. Patience, even in suffering. I thought about what's taught in Acts chapter uh, 16. You don't have to turn there. You'll know the story well. The Bible talks about Paul and Silas. And they were taken. They had their... Clothes stripped off of their back. And they were beaten with many stripes. I can't remember how many, but they were beaten with many stripes. And thrown in prison and shackles them in the depth of the prison. And at midnight, <laughs> they begin to sing. You say, preacher, if that had been me, I'd have been whining. Ain't no way I'd have been singing. Well, that may be so. But they were. Singing. Bleeding. Locked in the stocks. In the depth of the prison. And of course, God used their singing to bring great things about, you know, and that came from that. So in life, I want to tell you, let, let's imagine tonight that there's, A person who professes to be a Christian, and they don't care anything about this matter of being strengthened. Well, it's like these other things that are mentioned the secondary blessings that come from knowing, being filled with the will of God, walking worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and being strengthened. Guess what? It'll show. It'll show. I think one of the greatest witnesses that any Christian can ever have is being strong in the Lord and the power of His His mighty power. Being strong. Being strong. And so, I pray that you have learned something from this. And I believe with all my heart, it is the ultimate blessing of a Christian to be strong like that. And strong in his... His very power Father we praise you And we thank you for This prayer Oh God That maybe you'd speak to our hearts Maybe we'd think about Our prayer life Do we seek to pray for these things For our loved ones And especially Lord for our church Paul prayed for this church at Colossae And it was inspired by the Holy Spirit Oh God inspire your people Inspire your people. I pray for that. I pray for all these things for all of our folks here at Emmanuel. I pray, oh God, that you'd give them the desire to be filled with the knowledge of your will that they could walk worthy of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be strong. Father, good witness that it is in life. So bless us to understand that. Father, first commitments that need to be made related to it, I pray, oh God, this might be the very hour In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? We'll sing a closing number. Brother Aaron, come and lead us.